Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for this time to come together and fellowship, but also study um, the spiritual warfare that's out there. So um, give us wisdom, give us insight, be our teacher tonight, and help us to be able to deal with the world that we're, we're having to deal with and to navigate through it in the spiritual warfare that we're undergoing. We pray now in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so the topic we'll be on tonight then, is we're still on the cosmos, but we're, have to, we're now going to look at the facet of the cosmos that Scripture is trying to make uh, to us that it is temporary, okay? I'm hearing feedback, no. No, is it? Oh, okay, okay, oh, it's someone's phone, sorry. Okay, okay, we're good. Okay. So the idea is, and you know this, that the cosmos is destined to come to an end at some point in time, obviously, through the judgment of God. Eventually, it will pass away. The lust of it, the lust of the cosmos will pass away. And obviously, it burns up in Second Peter, and God creates a new heaven and a new earth. So that's the story of it. But then, okay, so how does this apply then to spiritual warfare and what Satan tries to do to us? Well, the first thing you have to understand is Satan's goal is to convince you that his counterfeit program, which is the cosmos, that his counterfeit program will last forever. Now, how does he convince people of this? Well, you start seeing it in their actions. Now, let's, let's go back to um, Genesis. As people got away from God in Genesis, and then they started forming uh, a solidarity group there in Babylon, and then they said, let us make a tower to the heavens, right? A portal to the spiritual realm, to the physical realm. And then let us basically build up a name for ourselves. Let us make a name for ourselves. You see that term, let us make a name for ourselves? Okay, that's when you know that humans are operating on a satanic system and the fact that they want to make a name for themselves, a permanent name. Now, the only name in the Bible that is supposed to be honored and supposed to, you know, bow a knee, everyone's supposed to bow a knee to is God's, right? It was Yahweh, and his name is still Yahweh, and it's Yeshua. And that that name, everyone knee will bow. Okay, so the idea, the only name in the Bible that is supposed to be honored, glorified, and submitted to is the name of God. The Jews used the name Hashem, the name. So the name is the big deal. Okay, so when humans say, I, we want to make a name for ourselves, like in the Tower of Babel, it indicates that the satanic influence on them, demonic influence, whatever you want to call it, has permeated their mindsets, and now they're wanting to build a tower to reach into the spiritual realm and then also give a permanent place to their name, of honoring human name. Okay, so we understand that from the Tower of Babel early on. Okay, so therefore... The, the, the satanic temptation will be on you personally is for you to make a name for yourself in this world. Okay? 
That will be the temptation. And the temptation gets very cloudy when you are trying, let's say, to, to use your talents, like in the parable of the talents, or your minas, like in the parable of the minas in Luke, you're wanting to use your talents that the Lord has given you, but then Satan will flip that to a different motivation of saying, yes, this is your time, talent, and treasure, but he flips it and says, use your talents basically to make a name for yourself. That's how it goes. It switches. Let me ask you this. What is the purpose of work? Earn a living? Okay, so you've got provision, right? He who doesn't provide for his family is worse than an infidel. What are you supposed to do in work? What are your mandates by the, by the Lord in work? Work as unto the Lord, and whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might. Those are the two mandates about your job, okay? So then when you go to the parable of the talents, to some he gave five, to some he gave two, to some he gave one, okay? So, and it says each according to their ability. So your skill set is according to the ability that you have. And so whatever God created in you as an ability, he has gifted you with certain amount of talents. And we're talking about the weights in the parable of the talents, right? Um, some have five, some have two, some have one. Okay, so you understand that and you know that you're supposed to double your talents. You're supposed to create a profit by you by using your talents in this world, okay? But here's the tricky question then. What's the motivation for doubling your talents? Whatever that talent might be, what is supposed to be your motivation? It's for the Lord, okay? So what, what, whatever career you're in, it is supposed to be unto the Lord, as, as if your boss was the Lord. You're working for him. Why are you working for him? To establish his name in anything you do. That Hashem, the name of the Lord, is prominent in the things you do. You don't do it to build a name for you. You do your job to build a name for him. So there's where the proper motivation comes in. But the minute you don't understand that or forget that, and then you start trying to build your career, then you're now about building your name. Well, I want to be well-known for this, and I want to be well-known for that, and I want to be known for this, and I want to be known, whatever that might be. You could have good motivations, but at the end of the day, if you're building your own name up and seeking your own glory through what you do, you're now on the, on the level of, of the cosmos, not God, and you think intuitively somehow that this name will stick and last forever. You may not say, oh, I don't believe that, but your actions say otherwise. Why would you build your own kingdom when you know the cosmos is temporary? 
So this is starts what happening. People say, well, they come on Sunday morning, and they're like, yeah, when we say, yeah, your life is like a mist, or we say, you know, everything's temporary. We, we appear as fog in the morning. We disappear by the afternoon. Uh, we, appear like, we, we appear like grass, you know. And, and so the idea then is we, we understand the idea, but the problem is then does it transfer into what we're doing? Because in James, the correlation is your actions tell people what you believe. What you believe is correlated, or sorry, not, I wouldn't even use correlated. Let me use the word connected to what you do in your behavior. So you have to ask yourself deep down inside, what's your motivation to do what you're doing? What is it? Do you want to make a name for yourself? Believe it or not, this filters in. I'm just using an example of, of, of employment, but it filters into the church. There are people in the church that want to be noticed. They serve in order to be noticed. But what are they doing? They're making a name for themselves. And see, the thing about it is, if the Lord wants to put you in a position where you're in front of everybody, he first has to hammer you before you get up in front of everybody. There's a process that you go through in public ministry that he has to break you and hurt you first before you get in front of people. And when these people want to get noticed in ministry and have not been broken, it'll go straight to their head if they get in front of anybody. They can't handle it. It goes straight to the head. I will tell you this. It, you do not really want to have public ministry. You don't, because you don't want to be hammered. Because the kind of hurting that you have to go through in order to be in, in the front of people so it doesn't go to your head is enormous, and you don't want that. Now, if you're called to do it, then I'm sorry. You're going to be broken pretty hard. That's just how public ministry is. That's the only way he can keep someone in front of people and not let them have a big head. That's the only way. He's broken them. Okay. So then when people try to be noticed, in a, even in a ministry setting, it looks like they want to They have good intentions and everything, but when they get in front of people and they have people noticing them, their head swells, and it gets bigger and bigger, and they can't take it, and they become obnoxious, and they, you can't hardly deal with them anymore. Because why? They're making a name for themselves. They're making a name for themselves. So it's not just employment. It happens in the church and in ministry. Okay, so therefore, let's get through the, the thought process of this. <clears throat> when a person is trying to be noticed, whether in their employment and making a name for themselves or in ministry, they have bought into the lie that they can make their mark in the world and that it will last. That's the mentality. Now, they may not say they believe that, but their actions tell you they do. They really do. It's always about their career. It, they make every decision based on their name. Well, how will this advance my career? How will this advance me in ministry? You know there's people in ministry, and I've seen them. They're sickening. They use ministry as a stepping stool to higher positions in ministry. It's kind of like what I've seen with teachers, not with all of them, but some teachers. They go into teaching not to teach, but they go into teaching to get to at the administrative level. 
I know administrators right now in the Kern High School District that were only in the class for like one year. They were in the class one year and they worked their all their way up to the district level like within you know, five, seven years. I thought you got into it for teaching. It used to be the old way is you went into administration when you were close to retirement. You went to the you know, superintendent when you were close to You know, if you go look, there's a bunch of uh, late 20s and early 30s running around the district. What does that tell you? It's money. It's position. They really didn't get into education to teach kids. You can't tell me if you, you did one year of teaching and then all of a sudden you're in administration that's not, that you got into for teaching. I'm just exposing that's just one area. But obviously, it, 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 you could go to the medical field. You can go to, you can go to you know, whatever, real estate, whatever. It doesn't matter. When a person is trying to make a name for themselves, they just keep climbing up the ladder. And if it's not position, if it's not authority, it's money. It's about money at the end of the day. It's that crass. And so what Satan convinces people is to build a name for yourself. Why did he convince them to build a tower to themselves? So they would be glorified themselves. They would have security. They would have everything they wanted apart from God. So I want you to think about this. What is, what is the reward of building your, a name for yourself in this world? You get things that you should be getting from God, but you get things you think the things that are going to make you feel good. So if you climb up the ladder of success, so to speak, you will get more money. But if that is what you're looking to for security, that's the counterfeit. So that's the thing is when you make a name for yourself, you stop deriving what you get from God and you try to get it for yourself on your own. So the money becomes security. The positions become security. The authority becomes about control. Now, the funny thing about this in scripture though is if you do a good job, if you do a good job, you'll be noticed by kings, right? That's what the Proverbs say, that if you really work hard, people are gonna notice you but it's not the way the world works. You know how the way the world works? Good old boy system, nepotism, all those types of things where people are promoted for the wrong reasons because they're a buddy. They go to, they, 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 they hang out with the boss and go have drinks after the job. And then they get in like this or they stay with the narrative of the, the company or the, or, the, uh, or the industry. They stay with the narrative. They don't go outside of the narrative. They don't buck the system. That person's never going to get, you know, uh, well, you know, if you buck the system, you're not going to be promoted. Those who go with it and don't, don't say anything, they don't have any problems. They just keep getting promoted up. So you'll find very few people taking stands with their employers, with their jobs, even with their careers. They won't take a stand because if they, if they take a stand, they're going to lose their name. They're gonna, and their name is codified in their reputation. When we say the name of God, we're talking about his character, his reputation, who he is. And so then what happens is Satan builds this persona in you, a false identity that this is you. 
you are this, and now you have the money, you have the power and authority to get all that you're wanting from God, but you now have it for yourself. Security, right? Things of that nature, whatever it might be. Control, I now have it. But it's an illusion, right? It's false. It's, an, it's, it's not real. It's a counterfeit. It's not real. But this is the problem when you start playing games in the cosmos of trying to make a name for yourself. Hey, think about this. Well, well Brandon, what about ambition? What it, yeah, what, what's the biblical ambition? The biblical ambition is whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all your might and work as unto the Lord. That should take care of any ambition that you have. If I, think my bo- if I believe my boss is Jesus, I'm gonna work 110%, man whatever he needs. I'm not going to shortcut it. I'm not going to cheat anybody. I'm going to do it right. Yeah, but you won't be noticed by the world, Brandon. So what? I'm building his name. I'm not building mine. So it starts affecting our careers. Now let me move into another thing. What do you think it does to our, when you raise in a family, when you're trying to make a name for yourself? You want that name to be passed on. That's what starts happening. So what do you want passed on? Well, the th- when, what, what I built up, Brandon, I want to pass it on to my kids. Okay? What did you build up? A spiritual foundation? No, I, I built up for things in this, for, for them to survive in this world. So I built, I built a company, and I want to pass it on to them. I built up this wealth, and I'm going to pass it on to them. I built up a standard of living, and I'm going to pass it on to them. I built up a standard that we go by in this family, and I'm going to pass it on to them. They're going to be what puts my name in cement, is that I'm going to pass on to my kids and then my grandkids that which I created, a name for myself. And they pass it on. Is that a good thing or a bad? We're supposed to pass on a legacy to our kids and grandkids, but what is that legacy? What is that legacy? It's, it's, it's the Christian foundation. It's Jesus. It's, it's everything biblically that, that we're supposed to pass the baton of faith. That's how you leave a legacy. It's not about, about money because most of the Christians in the, in the last 2,000 years have been dirt poor. There's no money to pass on. What they passed on was their faith. You want to know a successful parent is if they passed on their faith and their kids own it. Not that the kids are riding the coattails all the way through high school and then in college and then we lose them as adults. That's happening, what, to 85% of the kids now? We lose them because they didn't own their faith. So the, but what was passed on to them? Money, position, power, company, whatever it might be, it was passed on to them. Think about this in town. I told you this before. Look at the second generations that have inherited companies from their parents. How successful have those second generations who have taken over either a restaurant, a business, what has typically happened in that second generation? They destroy it. Why is that? You would think, man, easy come. Oh, hey, I, you're the dad or the mom. He said, I did all the hard work, and here it is. I built this, and I'm too old to do it now. I'm retiring. 
You guys can take it over. It's turnkey, man. Just run the operation. They can't even do it. Why? They never were paying the dues. They didn't work hard. They weren't working day and night, seven days a week. So easy come, easy go. And so what ends up happening is people think, oh, I'm building this up for my kids, and then I'm going to pass it on, and this your name, and you pass on your name. They don't want it. They don't even care about it. They can't carry it on. And that's the, the fallacy people have of thinking, okay, I'm going to build myself up. I have a name for myself and have a successful business and everything, and then I'm going to pass on my kids. And like Solomon says in Ecclesiastes, one generation raises up the money, and then the next one spends it. Right? They lose it in the next generation. That's the, that's the temporary idea of building up a name is that it doesn't really go past your, your lifetime. It's temporary. The cosmos closes that door on you. And no one's going to remember you in 10 years. I just hate to tell you that. No one. No one will remember you. See, but see, and you know that. You remember Chuck. We'll remember you, Chuck. You made, you made a name for yourself, Chuck. We'll remember you. So even like in sports, who do you remember? You remember the people are playing right now. You don't remember 20 years ago. Who won the Super Bowl 20 years ago? I don't know. Who got the MVP? It was 49ers, I think, All right? It's 49ers. (laughs) Anyway, um, the Bible Bible says, okay, so then how how are you going to be remembered? Because you're not going to be remembered in this world. How will you be remembered? You'll be remembered when you get to the new life. Because everybody knows each other's name in the new life, don't they? because you build a name for God here, the one of the rewards for doing that is you will be given a new name in heaven and for all eternity that you are to go by, and that's who everyone will know you by. That is the name that you will have for all eternity. But it was based on you building up his name here, not building up your own name. And then that's, what, that's, that's where the reward. I'll give you a new name. And that name will codify your life and what you did here. And that's what everybody will know you of in heaven. Now, the idea is you will be known as he is known, the promise is. So this helps us not worry too much about our name here because I will be remembered forever in God's uh, kingdom, eternity, the millennial kingdom, all that, I will be remembered there. I will always be known. And, and so that, that helps you depart from making a name for yourself. Okay, so this is what starts happening. The parents want, have made a name for themselves, and now they're wanting to do this to the kids, okay? They want to pass on stuff. Let's say they don't have a business, but let's say they have wealth, and they pass on that wealth to their kids, Is that a good thing or is that a bad thing? Depends, doesn't it? Depends on if the kids were raised with the parents trying to make a name for themselves because they will take on that same persona and try to do the same thing, try to make a name for themselves. 
And so what happens is you have uh, these generational, uh, I don't know, habits, standards, whatever you want to call them, that just keep getting passed down and passed down. And that becomes the controlling aspect. And really all it's about is making a name for themselves. That's what it it becomes. But how do those kids do? How do those kids do that are given that kind of money in life? Have you seen them? How do they do? They don't do very well. Yeah, they, they, they don't. They don't do very well, and actually the money corrupts them, and they turn into a different person. I'm not, you know, I'm not against having money. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about, you know, someone made a name for themselves, made a lot of money, passes that on to the kids, and they haven't done anything to do that, and it, it actually ends up hurting them a lot of times spiritually. Um, and I'm not saying, please understand, I'm not talking about giving an inheritance to your family. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when the parents are making a name for themselves. That's a problem. So when you're making a name for yourself, how does that affect your spirituality? Just a practical level. If I'm making a name for myself, what will I do or what what will I ignore in my spiritual life? The truth, yeah, of what I'm doing. What else? My what? Yeah, the sanctification probably will go out the door. Well, yeah, and maybe that's, you know, your true God is you because you're making a name for yourself. Evangelism, discipleship. So here's what starts happening. When you're making a name for yourself, you won't have time to do the spiritual disciplines that you need in order to grow. So typically, those who make a name for themselves are spiritually immature because they just are too busy. You ask them, can you serve? No, I, 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 I got to do this, or I got to go here. They have jobs that don't allow them to serve ever. That's a problem. If you never serve, then how we're called doulasses. We're called servants, slaves, bond servants. But the person is working so much, they can't serve. Right there, the person's making a name for themselves. They say, well, I just don't have time. Well, that's we don't serve because it's convenient. If you're going to serve, you will sacrifice time to serve. That's just how it is. You're never going to get away from that. I've, tried, I've seen people try to serve when it's convenient for them, and you know what happens? They call us on Saturday, I can't come, I have a headache. No, seriously, man, they, you know, they, 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 they jump out of their roles just like, a, you know, we'll take a baby aspirin, get in here, and we need help. You know, come on. And people, like, they're, they're delicate, you know. Oh, oh. you know. Listen, it's one thing you have, you, if you have the Mongolian hikey dikes, okay? If you have that, then stay home, okay? But, if, oh, I have a slight headache. I read too much. Come get in here. What in the world are you thinking? You know, but that people, what, what, what really what happens is they're spending a lot more time on their name doing these other things, and they don't have time for God. And that's what really starts happening. 
And so they're fatigued and exhausted. And I get it. They're fatigued and exhausted. I totally get it. But if you're so fatigued and exhausted that you can't serve God, you're making a name for yourself. And you need to reevaluate how you're balancing your schedule. Because that becomes a problem. Because here's the deal. Guess what you get at the end of life when you make a name for yourself? You get a coffin. Or an urn, if, if your family says, we're not paying $10,000 for a coffin. <laughs> yeah, you, you're right, you know? And, and they'll sing some lovely songs about you and, tell, and say how wonderful a person you are, even though everyone despised you. And, and, uh, and that's it. You got a name on a headstone, and you know what your life will be? It'll be from, it'll say on your headstone, the day you were born and the day you died, and that little line of your name, that dash right in there, that's, that's your name. That's what you built up is a dash. My point is you get nothing for building your own name up. You get everything if you build his name up. That's the difference. That's where the spiritual treasure is, right? That's what you, you lay up before you go, is to build up his name. Now, now with the temporary aspects of things, let's get into some nitty-gritty about this. So since the cosmos is temporary, okay, so now I, I understand, Brandon, I'm not supposed to make a name for myself. Does that mean I'm not ambitious? No. So how do I balance out the parable of the talents and not making a name for myself? Okay, well, it starts with the motivation, number one. So the motivation is, here's the thing you have to ask yourself. In anything you do, you must ask yourself deep down and be honest with yourself, why am I doing what I'm doing? Why, why are you accepting this promotion? Okay? Why are you going for this position? Why are you moving? Why are you serving at church? You must ask that question and be honest with yourself. Okay, so you find out the proper motivation. Okay, great. When you look at this, at your job or anything you do, you must be able to bring in the parable of the talents and the parable of the minas and say this. This is not about me making a name for myself. It is about me maximizing my talents that the Lord has given me. You see the difference? Because to the one he gave five and the guy came back and doubled them, right? So each according to his ability. So according to your ability, God has given you special gifts, not only natural, but he also gives you spiritual gifts, right? When you get saved and he gives you experiences in life and your job is to use those to maximize your talents, so your job, your positions, the things you go for, the things you serve at the church for are, should be the motivation is to maximize what God gave me. If I can't maximize what God gave me, what does that mean? I better find something else to do that allows me to maximize what God has given me. Because what did the guy with one... Uh, 
talent do? He buried it. And then what did he say? I was afraid. That's why he didn't do it. That's why he didn't go out. So what I'm trying to show you is the proper motivation gives you the right godly ambition to work as unto the Lord, to do as all with your might, right? 100% versus making a name for yourself. So this motivation is proper. So in my career, in anything I do in my life, I'm trying to maximize everything he's given me. And if I cannot maximize that, at the next level and the next level, then I, I am to find something else where I can maximize that. What is the greatest position? You have to ask yourself, what is the greatest position you can put yourself in to maximize what he's given you? You have to ask that. Because when the guy says, I was afraid, what is he afraid of? What, what, what are people afraid of, of maximizing that talent of theirs? Failure. I, I mean, I'm a 49er fan, and so I, I read autobiographies of Joe Montana like there was no tomorrow. I know Joe like this. He doesn't know me, but I know him. Okay? I got to shake his hand one time at a game because uh, it was, I never washed it since, you know. But um, his son was playing Christian Oaks over there. This is years ago. And they were playing BCHS when Derek Carr was a quarterback at BCHS. It was an unbelievable game. So Montana was boy was a quarterback, and Derek Carr was the quarterback for BCHS. So I went to that game, and I stood the whole time on the sidelines over there in the visitor side, and Montana had all these people surrounded him. And uh, I mean, here's, here's the big chance, man, to meet Joe Montana. Go up there, and he's coming down the row, and I said, hey, Joe, you're the greatest quarterback that ever played, man. Thanks. Just kept walking on. <laughs> Shot down. Didn't even want to have a discussion or anything. He doesn't realize how many years I watched him. But anyway, um, kind of just blew the whole thing, man. And so anyway, I got to shake his hand. I've never watched it since. And, uh, but anyway, when I would read their autobiographies, which I found fascinating, I read Steve Young's autobiography, all these guys that played football like that, these elite-level guys, you know what they all said? Hands down, every one of them. Why did you play at the, at the level that you played at? I was afraid of failure. Montana mentions that. Steve Young mentions that. And you know, even Steve Young uh, mentioned in his autobiography, he was afraid of failing his parents. Yeah, can you imagine? And, and they, they had this fear that um, if they failed, everything would be lost. They would lose their reputation. They would lose everything. Steve Young was classic. Uh, he was running on rejection. There's no doubt about it. When you read Steve Young's biography, that guy was rejection-oriented. And so what motivated him was this, I don't want to embarrass my parents. I don't want to embarrass my name. I don't want to embarrass anybody. And uh, you would think they would have a different motivation for playing football rather than to please their parents. But that's what it was about. Didn't want to fail and be a failure to my parents. Wow. Wow. So anyway, the, the, the idea then um, is what I was trying to say is um, their motivations, even playing NFL football, were wrong. They didn't play it as you should. Uh, now, Steve Young's a Mormon, so I don't expect him to play it. for. I'm, uh, I think Montana's Catholic, so I don't expect them to have the right motivations. 
but I'm, I'm bringing it as to us that you can get lost in this career thing. You very, you very well can, and you end up losing yourself, your identity, and what you're really supposed to be doing. So, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to fashion my life and make decisions based on can I maximize everything God gave me? And if you can, then you're in the sweet spot. Man, you're in your groove, and it will feel tremendous when you're in that sweet spot. But if you're not, you will have this aching feeling that something's not right, that you're not doing all that you can. And it will, it will like haunt you like a ghost, so to speak, inside of you, because it's true, you're not where you're supposed to be. So I have a lot of discussions with guys a lot of times about their careers, and um, that's a big deal for guys. I'm sure it's a big deal for gals too, but um, guys really struggle with this because they, a lot of them don't feel that they're in a position where they actually believe that God put them in. They, they, they believe that they made decisions based on provision, but it's, it's over-provision. Does that make sense? They, they, they chose their career on over-provision. And you know what the, the, what, what the motivation behind that is? It's simple. Now guys will say it all the time. I, don't, I grew up without this and that, and I grew up with this and that and this, and I don't want my child to not have that. What ends up happening is they over-provide, and what does over-provision do? Creates spoiled brats. What happens because it's over provision, and so the parent, the person's parenting based on their lack of and their desire in life to make a name for themselves and and to make sure that kid never feels any pain like they did. Let me ask you this: as a parent, grandparent, is it good for kids to feel pain? Oh man, you can't take that away from them. But I can tell you this: you know the helicopter parents are doing it. That's why we have snowflakes now, right? They believe it's a right to not be offended. Have you noticed that? They're always offended. It's like, dude, I don't know where, how you were, oh, I know how you were raised. You were raised by millenniums, that's why. And they taught you that we're gonna, we're gonna make sure you're safe from all pain in this life and we're gonna put you in a protective bubble. That actually damages kids. That hurts them because they can't take life. They can't adjust to life. That's why so many are, are, are uh, messed up in their 20s and committing suicide. They can't take life. So, so you'll have someone build a name for themselves with good intentions. I want my kids to not miss out. Good motivation, but bad consequences. So how much is enough? How much is enough? You see what I'm saying? So in this world, if you play the game of how much is enough, it's never enough. Because if you face the world in fear, you will be like the guy who builds barns bigger and bigger. And what happens is to increase your level of, of uh, calmness, security, um, well-being, whatever you want to call it, you will have to have more and more. But then something else in the world will make you afraid, and you're like, I gotta have more. And then something else will make you afraid. Well, I gotta have more now. 
And so you keep increasing because you are afraid, because you're not trusting in God, you're trusting in your own resources to provide your name for yourself that brings security protection and everything else you're looking for. And so it's a very deadly game. This is why if you really don't grasp and believe that the cosmos is temporary, you will put, put, you will put stock into it. And you will do everything, even to protect yourself. Now, again, the scriptures are not saying not protect yourself. The scripture says, man, if you see a hole, then you go around it. You're stupid if you just keep walking, it says, right? I'm paraphrasing, but that's essentially what one of the Proverbs talks about. You, a man who sees evil avoids it. Okay, so, so you do prepare, but how much? How much? Let me put this point. If you can't stop, then it's because you're putting your stock into the cosmos if you can't stop. When, you, when you're working with God and you're dealing with him in a relationship, all you have to ask him is, how much is enough, Lord? What do I need to do? Right? And he'll say, that is enough. He'll let you know that's enough. But when you're not working with God, there'll be no end to it. How much money do you need for your kids to go to college? I don't know, but I'm going to save up uh, $200,000, okay? By the time you get there, it's, the college is going to be way more than that. So then you're going to have, well, I got to get more, and then I got to get more, and then I got to get more, and then I got to get more. And it never ends. How do you know that kid needs to go to college? How do you know? Well, that's part of how the cosmos works, Brandon. You, you, you go to school, then you get a good job, and then, and, and uh, you know, you have a career. You have a family. You raise a family. Is that God's idea or is that cosmos idea? It's cosmos. I, I get education if you're in, if you're in the... Uh, math, technology, medicine, those types of things. But plumbers make $200,000, guys, and they don't go to school. I'm just saying. They're making more than a college professor. A college professor at BC, what? They make, what, 60000 And the plumber that services my, my toilet, he gets paid 200000 I think I know where I'm going to go. For I don't need that crazy college education other than to be brainwashed unless I'm going into math, technology, engineering, uh, medical or whatever. Uh, but my point is, so this becomes part of the cosmos thinking. Well, I'm going to build a name for myself and I got to build a name for my kid. And so we're going to send them off to USC or whatever it might be. We're going to send them off to Harvard. We're going to send them off to Stanford. And that assures him a great career and a great education, does it? Or am I get a lunatic that believes in Marxism coming out of that? No one's thinking like that. I told you, I went to BCHS that one time with their, their counselors and said, oh, you know, they're telling my son, hey, you're, we're going to go to, you want to go to UCLA? And I said, no, he doesn't want to go to any of those places. I don't want everything I put into him be taken from him by those crazy lunatic professors. They just looked at me. They didn't, they didn't believe what I was saying. It's like, you, you guys got to get up to speed here. But my, my point is, 
the cosmos will think that this is the measure of success. And if you do X, Y, and Z, then you've made it. Really? Do you want to play that game? Because that's called a rat race, right? And, and if you play by the rules, you're going to be doing something that won't maximize your talent. That's why so many guys, when they talk to me, believe they're not in the right place. And then when I go through it and I said, well, what made your decision to take this career? Well, it, it, my, my dad said it was a good place to start. Or I didn't know anything else, and, and this is what my counselor told me to do. Really? You didn't ask God? No. That's why you feel the way you feel. Because you did something where you're, you're not in your wheelhouse. You're not maximizing those talents, the, you know, whether it's five, two, or one. Remember what the guy said? He goes, Lord, I was afraid. And then what did he say? I knew you were a hard man. I knew you were a hard man. In what way? Gathering where you, where you do not scatter. Harvesting where you've not planted seed. What does that mean? I know you're a hard man. What does that, that phrase mean? Scatter, uh, scattering gathering where you don't scatter and uh harvesting where you have not planted what does that mean that's weird i mean he's really disparaging the master isn't he really when in essence what's this this is how you, you you're to understand that 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 idiom it is an idiom that means you're the kind of boss that expects results, but you don't give provision for me to do my job. You don't give any training. You don't give me any tools, but you expect results. And I can't do that without help. So I was afraid of, of what you would judge me with. And so I didn't do anything. Because you're the kind of God that never provides when you ask me to do something. Okay, so I want you to think about that. Where in the world did he get that idea? Who gave him the idea that God leads you to do something and wants you to do something but doesn't provide for you to do that? Where did he get that? Remember in the parable, it says, each according to their ability. They were given ability by God. You were given ability by God. But the cosmos thinking that's controlled by Satan is saying, huh, look, dude, don't try to do anything God asks you to do, but I guarantee you, he's not going to be there for you. He's not going to provide. You're going to be doing this on your own. You're gonna, he's going to ask you to go to the deep end, and you're going to sink, and you're going to fail. Just do the things you know you can do. Do the things that are safe. Do the things that are a guarantee. And guess what? If you go about that in your career and you say, I'm going to do what's safe, you will do what's safe, but you won't be doing what you're supposed to be doing because it was safe. You made a decision based on safety rather than, 
God wants you to go in the deep end, and it's going to be a little scary, but you're going to have to jump in, and it's the only way you can do it. But don't worry. Once you're in it, he provides all the provision for you. So the cosmos wants you to play it safe. It also wants to play it safe with your relationships. What do you mean? People get damaged so bad in this life by other people. It's a fact of life, and we all go through it. People hurt us and do bad things. But then what happens is Satan twists that because of his cosmos, and the mentality in the cosmos is this. Look, everybody's unsafe. That's the mentality in the cosmos. Everybody's unsafe. You can't trust anybody, and, and because of that, you've got to protect yourself, okay? And so when you're having relationships with people, choose people that are so weak that they will never hurt you. Now, follow me on that. I'm not talking about physical weakness. I'm talking about moral weakness. I'm talking about not having a spine. I'm talking about a non-leader. Okay? So what the cosmos tries to do is say, look, man, you got to play it safe. You know how people hurt you, right? Then your relationships need to be with people who will never threaten you with anything contrary to what you believe. They will go with the flow. They will be lapdogs for you. They will never pressure you to do the right thing. And they end up marrying somebody that was safe. You following me? So then, 10 years go by, and the woman's complaining to our counselor, my husband's not a leader, and I can't get him to lead. He won't lead out, Brandon. I don't understand this. I do. Let's go back to when you married him. Why would you marry him like that? Why did you marry a non-leader? Why did you marry a kid? Oh, because a kid is safe. So you want this guy to be a leader. He's never going to be a leader because it's going to take 20 years to teach him how to be a leader. You married someone with an Adam syndrome and is passive because when you married, you wanted safety, didn't you? Well, don't start changing the rules of the game. Now you want a leader? Too late. We're going to have to put him through discipleship for the next 20 years in order for him to be a leader. You mean he's not going to change? No. No, you're part of the problem in this whole relationship because you married a passive man. I'm using men as an example. You know how many people tell me in counseling how, that they married the wrong person? A lot. Okay? A lot. Pretty common. What do I do now? Right? <laughs> they don't have grounds for divorce. I said, you're stuck. And you must lay in the bed that you made. Um, and we'll give you some coping skills of how to deal with that. But it comes back to what's the, I said, so let me ask you this. So what, why, did, why did you choose him? I mean, did you not love him? Oh, I loved him and everything. Um, but 
a lot of the women will say, well, he was safe. That's kind of like what the culture does about masculinity, that they're afraid of, of masculinity now. They call it male toxicity or whatever it might be, right? And I get it. People had bad, a bad relationship with bad males. I get that. There's bad males, but there's good males, right? You can't broad brush all males and say all men are trash. You can't do that. But if in, in the cosmos, that's what they will do. They will bash all men or verse, vice versa, the men will bash all women. Oh, okay. So when they, a man is looking for safety, what will he choose? He will choose a doormat. Right? He will choose a doormat. He doesn't want anyone brushing up against him, challenging his leadership, giving him a different opinion. He will, buy, he'll, he will, he will end up getting a doormat. And that's what happens in that relationship. The, the woman gets walked on the whole time. Okay, but, but, here's, but here's my point. Those decisions are based on cosmos decisions because I was afraid that you were a hard man harvesting where you do not scatter. That if I got married to someone that really had a spine, I couldn't control them. Right. Because anyone that's a leader is going to be very difficult to control. So you actually wanted that, right? You don't you don't really didn't want somebody that knows where they're going, knows where they come from and can lead out, do you? Because that's too intimidating for you. That's scary for you, isn't it? You've never had a person in your life like that. You've surrounded yourself with people and friends that are all passive. So in the essence, then, I was afraid, well, well, then if I got married to one of these types of leaders, I wouldn't know what to do with them. They scare me. Not all men are bad men, right? Or not all women are bad women. But if I use the parable of the talent, God would provide the right leader and he would balance out the house and create a proper authority in the house and your marriage would be 10 times better, and your kids would be 10 times better if they had a leader in the home. So God says, look, you think I would be a bad guy for giving you a leader in your home. You're wrong, because the leader would turn everything over and make it all better. It would solve the problem of what you're afraid of, and it would help your kids. What do you think boys do when they look at a dad that's passive? they will be passive because men teach masculinity to boys, not women. And so if the man is passive, he will teach passivity to the boys. And guess who the boys will marry? They will marry someone that sees them as safe too. And what, is, what, what happens in the cosmos? The house is upside down because now the authority that should be there is not there anymore. So now the wife is unprotected and the children are unprotected. And it all has to do with a misunderstanding of who Jesus is. 
Do you believe if you make the right decision for the Lord, even though it's hard and you're gonna have to sacrifice and you're gonna be in the deep end, that he can provide for you in that spot? You have to. If you don't, you're gonna choose a safe decision. So that's why the guy doesn't, doesn't go and try to multiply his talents. He just buried it because, man, I do not want to be hammered by this master who expects results and doesn't provide. So I don't, I don't, I don't want anyone to go there. I don't want to be chastised by them. I don't want to be uh, judged by him. So I'm not going to do anything. I've had many people tell me that they don't teach because of uh, what James says in James's epistle, that let not many of you teach, for you will receive a stricter judgment. And so people will tell me, I'm not serving because of that passage. I don't want a, a, a stricter judgment. Is that an excuse? That comes out of Matthew 25. You don't want to serve because you don't want a stricter judgment? You're the same guy in Matthew 25 bearing his talent. What are you talking about? Are you, are you planning to come out and be like a Benny Hinn and go full, full throttle on, the, on word of faith? Is that what you're planning? Well, no, I just don't want to make a mistake. No, no, you don't understand. It's a warning against people like Joel Osteen and Benny Hinn and the circus boys. That's who it's warning about. It's not war warning. It is warning, but it's those who intentionally are trying to misalign the, misalign the scriptures. Not those who are making mistakes. It's about people intentionally doing things. Well, I just not serve because I don't want to get judged. Unbelievable. But the point is, that's cosmos thinking. It's cosmos thinking. And so cosmos thinking says, I'm going to play it safe. I can't go all out like this. I can't, I can't make the move that God wants me to make the move. And so at the end of the day, you see how people are starting to buy in the cosmos and they're not thinking biblically. So they don't serve. They're not in the position employment-wise where they should be. And that hurts them. Why do, why do so many people hate their jobs? Because they're, they, they, they made career decisions based on safety. Well, it's a safe job. Who in the world told you that this life is safe? God didn't. You didn't get that out of Christianity. Oh, the cosmos says that. Play it safe, do what you're told, and you'll be a good little worker bee at the end of it, and, and you'll be fine. Uh-uh, that's not the way it goes. Anyway, with that being said, okay, so temporary, we talk about that, temporary, and the decisions based on safety. So then, then what will that look like spiritually in service to the Lord? It will look like the person simply does the minimal that would never get them judged and typically sits on the sidelines and watches everyone else perform rather than getting in the game. And so the end result of that is a loss of rewards at the judgment seat of Christ. They will lose rewards for that. They playing it safe. Hey, man, here's the thing. You can't spiritualize everything. And I know that sounds weird that I'm saying that, but here's the deal. Too many people spiritualize 
every facet of their life. I mean, really, man, it's ridiculous. And it's, life is not meant to be lived that way. You make spiritual decisions, but not everything you do is spiritual. Putting on your clothes is not a spiritual event, okay? It's just not. But people will make it out to be. And here's the thing that you've got to be careful about, and I see this a lot. Because they have made their life so spiritual, then everything that happens that day is a sign from God. Everything. Seriously, man. I got people telling me they burnt the toast and that represented hell for them and they got scared because they thought they were not saved because they saw burnt toast. A woman gets on a plane, it's a 777. She says, that must be the God plane. I knew I should have went on that trip because it was seven, uh, Boeing 777. Okay. Or, you know what, Brandon, I, I, uh, I, I got this, this receipt back, and I noticed on the receipt it said 666, and so I, I put the item back, Brandon. I put the item back. I'm not going to buy anything that has 666 on it. It's a barcode. There's nothing spiritual about that. It's a barcode. My cat looked at me funny. That was a, that was a, sign, that was a sign from God. My dog wagged his tail funny to me. He never does that, Brandon. He never does that. He didn't eat today, and he never does that. I know God's giving me a message. You think I'm making this stuff up, right? People will over-spiritualize their life to where they are immobile. They can't make any decisions. And some of the things where, you know, it's like common sense And just like, hey, well, I need to pray on this 40 days. What? You're sick. Go to the doctor. What are you doing? I'm going to pray through this. Maybe God will heal me in 40 days, and I won't have to go to the doctor. You go to the doctor now. You have pneumonia. It's unbelievable what I hear. It's unbelievable. And they're all baptizing this in spirituality. That is another thing that happens to people when they're not building a name for God, but building a name for themselves. They're afraid to make any move without getting a sign from God. Now, this is weird. God doesn't work like that. I'm sorry. He doesn't work like that. Can he give you signs? Yes. Do you get them? Yes, but they will be infrequent. Okay, they're not like... I open up the box of cereal, and all of a sudden, I see things. You're on the level of the occult at that point in time, okay? When you're seeing things going through the cloud. I saw this cloud, and I, I saw this, this, this thing. It looked, like a, it looked like a demon branded in the sky, and I just knew it was a bad day to go out, so I just stayed home. Because you saw a cloud? What are you talking about here, man? I know it sounds crazy, but it, it, hey, that's the way you start playing the game. Okay, so that's what happens. You have to start creating a false spirituality. When you're not in line with God and just doing what he wants you to do and just simply being obedient, it's like bread and butter type stuff. When you don't do that, you have to spiritualize your life. Everything has to become spiritual. Everything. 
And then you start spiritualizing gray areas. Well, I'm telling you what, you know, we're, we're putting our kids in private school, and anyone who doesn't put their kids in private school is of the devil. They just don't love their kids more than me. Seriously, man, it's ridiculous. I've seen that. I've seen that. It's like, what are you talking about? That's a gray area. You can't judge anyone on that. Well, God led me, and I know if you pray hard enough, he will lead you to. You just get on your hands and knees like me at four in the morning, and I'm sure he will tell you. It's crazy, isn't it? But see, what, this is what happens. When you're not truly spiritual and not following God, you have to make up spirituality. And you pretend to be spiritual when you're absolutely not. It's a false spirituality. You gotta, it's funny how people will structure their family life based on sacred schedules. Sacred schedules. What do you mean? They're, the way they do the dynamics in their family is like it's Moses with the Ten Commandments coming down and says, number 11 and 12 is this is how you structure your family during the day and during the night. And they will stick to that schedule like it's gospel. What do you mean? Well, Brandon, we've really prayed about this. We feel the conviction of the Lord. And this is what we're, God has led us to do. And we hope all of you understand this. He has led us to have dinner at 5.30 every day with our family. And we can't do anything else other than do that. And we're going to make sure we do that every day because God sent his angel to tell us to do this. Okay. So what happens when there's a Bible study? We can't go because it cuts into our dinner time. What happens when your kids play sports? Well, they won't be playing sports at that time. Oh, okay. Do you see what the problem is? It's called a fake spirituality, and people do it with their schedules. They actually have a Sabbath in different pockets of the day, and you can't disrupt that with them. I'm going to tell you, that kind of person is a fake spirituality. It's not real. Imagine Messiah going through three years, giving the gospel out there in Judea, Samaria, Galilee, and all that, saying, guys, stop. I got to have a family time dinner with my disciples. I know you need to be healed, but no, no, we're going to do this. This is so prevalent in Christianity, I can't tell you where it ends and begins. Sacred schedules. Now, I understand family time is great, and if you can do it, wonderful. But I know life, and it doesn't happen like that every day. Um, I'll get out of here at 9.30. There's no family time at 10 o'clock when I'm eating my dinner tonight. It just is what it is. Ministry changes everything. Your jobs change everything. So if you say, I can't get another job because it's going to cut into my family dinner, then you are practicing a false spirituality. It's not real. What is real spirituality? Obedience. 
It's not obedience to a schedule. It's obedience to the Lord. Did he say, thou shall have a schedule like this? No. But see, what my point is, that's what you have to do when you're not following the Lord in obedience. You have to make things up. And then, fine, if you want to have that, that's your call. No problem. Don't put that on other people. So they'll start looking down on people that don't have the, the sacred schedule. Oh, well, you don't have dinner time? At five? No, Brandon, I haven't. I told myself, I haven't had dinner at 5.30 in 20 years. I haven't because I'm always doing ministry. I, I, I don't, I, it doesn't work like that. But this is what happens when you have to have some form of spirituality and you have to make it up. I'm not condemning anybody that has a schedule. That's fine if you can keep it, but life doesn't allow you to keep that schedule for very long because your kids get older, things are happening, job changes, church changes, this and that, everything moves, and the rigidity of people starts happening because they don't want to lose their so-called spirituality. And in essence, by keeping this fixed spirituality, they bury their talent when they could be used elsewhere or their kids could be used elsewhere for more glory. It's more than what you wanted to know. But that's, that's seeing the cosmos temporarily making a name for yourself. Okay, we gotta take a break, man. Uh, let's give five minutes and then we'll come back and do current events.